Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Ford Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Tuesday, January 16th. Today, we're going to be talking about the wild card weekend fallout of Miami, Dallas, and Philadelphia all going down. And our first look preview of the divisional round. I'm joined again by an all-star cast. I've got Cleve TA plus EV Better, CleveAnalytics.com, Suma Pro Sports Better, creamer, creator on the Hammer Betting Network and Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst at 4for4.com. Do me a favor, like, and subscribe to this content. It is greatly appreciated. It helps us boost us up in the algorithm. Also, any comments or questions you have, shoot them our way, and we'll get to as many of them as possible. Of course, none of this will be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book, bet smart, bet pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Gentlemen, let's get this show on the road. And I want to talk about last night and specifically the Philadelphia Eagles um, going down. First, I want to pull up this clip and see if you guys remember uh, a time when Nick Sirianni was on top of the world and had no problem telling opposing fans um, what he thought of them. That was their second last biggest win. Uh, they would also go on to beat Buffalo in a game that they probably didn't deserve to win. And then the collapse happened at the end of the year. This team went 10 and one and is now out of the playoffs in the first round. Uh, Suma lead us off today. What was the biggest catalyst for this collapse in Philadelphia? I think it's a combination of uh, really, really bad defense, bad coordinated defense. And an offense that is playing with a banked up quarterback that has zero answers to some basic stuff that defenses are throwing at them. Uh, for example, the blitz. Like we have seen it for several weeks now that when teams throw blitzes at this Eagles offense, they have no clue, no hot routes, they have no concept how to beat it. And it doesn't help that Hertz is uh, playing banked up and not running too much. Like they, they, they don't call too many design runs for him and stuff like that. It's it, it really feels like a different offense. And I think in hindsight, we we mentioned it in the offseason, but in hindsight, losing Shane Steichen really was bad for this offense. So it's a combination of terrible defense and an offense with a banked up quarterback that cannot give you good solutions to very common problems, I would say. Uh, Cleve, so uh, that was the big to uh, topic of conversation in the offseason of, hey, you lost both coordinators, uh, Gannon and Steichen. How are you going to bounce back? My question is, um, is this an indication that teams should probably be hiring guys uh, at head coach that are capable of calling uh, one side of the ball? 
either that or have a succession plan, like at least with the Bills, you know, they lost Dable, but they had Ken Dorsey in the wings. And then they lost Dorsey, but they signed Joe Brady to learn under him, right? They at least had an, a backup option at play caller. Brian Johnson wasn't good enough. And, and uh, is that where the, the major failings happened? Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't think the offense per se was really the issue. I mean, they were still top 10 in EPA. They, you know, were, were, were rolling along for much of the season until, you know, injuries started piling up the wide receiver core at the end. Um, and, you know, look, Jalen Hurts has his flaws. He doesn't throw over the middle of the field at all. And like Suma said, you know, against things like the Blitz, like just has no answers uh, to that. And maybe that's coaching. But I just think in general, the offense is good enough to make a run here like that. If you had a, a, a league average defense, you probably win that game last night. You actually have a shot to, to get to another Super Bowl. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, you know, probably co the offensive coaching staff isn't great. But I, I personally don't think I think between just. Um, you know, some of the injuries, like I said, Hurts, I, I agree. Hurts did not look right. Ever since I think that Miami game, he was kind of limping around uh, some of the, some of his runs. He couldn't get around the corner really ever. Um, a lot of times he would just kind of stop and slide or just kind of run out of bounds. So I think there's something going on with him that's more than, than what's out there. But I think it's a combination of those things offensively. But I think overall, you know, the general direction of the offense, I think is fine. Like, I don't think that's a, a an area to, to really be concerned about it. The defense is a joke. I mean, it is, it was, just they got no pressure at all this year. Last year, they, they you know, masked some of the secondary concerns because they let, you know, set a record for, for sacks, got to the quarterback, um, you know, at a record rate, and it masked some of the issues in the secondary. Jonathan Gannon, for all the – I mean, Philly fans have to be like – I don't know, think they know what they do to do with themselves because all the people that, that blamed him for having a top-five defense and getting to the Super Bowl, and, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is going to do that to a lot of guys – um, he, he, he saved that defense because he, his strategy was to keep everything in front, limit explosive plays. Uh, even if that meant that the, the elite quarterbacks are kind of, you know, essentially going to pick you apart over the middle this, it's clear that the linebacking core and the secondary just isn't good enough, uh, to be honest, to play man up. So, uh, and, and you know, the defense this year just wasn't, uh, wasn't up to snuff and they couldn't tackle. And then they dealt with some injuries and, Slay and Bradbury are not the same, and, and Slay's you know got hurt, and all those things kind of piled up. So uh, it's definitely uh, they definitely have to revamp this this uh, back back end of the of the defense, and maybe rethink how they go about uh, uh, from a personnel perspective with the linebacking core because that that's where they got burned the most is uh you know over the middle and the intermediate part of the field. Well, Clark, Clark, you made the point that um, you know Jalen Hurts was probably in one of the best situations last year. Uh, Probably the best O-line in football. Uh, multiple weapons, you know, Goddard, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, a good run game. Um, then you had to pay the guy, and you paid him top of the market money. And and now you got, like, seven guys in the secondary that are 30 years and older. This is a slow-aging secondary. You have a lot of holes that you have to address. It's a lot more difficult now that you're paying your quarterback is that going to be a problem revamping this roster? Are the Eagles actually in a bit of a downslide? I think so. I, I actually do have some concerns about both sides of the ball moving forward. Jason Kelsey is retiring and he was absolutely massive for this offense. Um, we're seeing the offensive line get a little bit older. They didn't play very well uh, last night. And, you know, I don't know whether it's a bad game or whether some of these guys are just, you know, at the end of their run. But it, without a good offensive line, Jalen Hurts' time to process gets sped up. And he hasn't been good when he's had a sped up time to process. 
Um, the other thing you didn't mention in his circumstances last year is Shane Steichen. Like he had a great play caller who just almost took the Colts to the playoffs with Gardner Minshew. Um, and I think he's shown that when he has all those structures in place, the time in the pocket, the great playmakers downfield, the really good scheme, like he can succeed. But I'm not sure that he's going to be able to keep the team's expectation or keep the team meeting expectations in the face of losing offensive linemen and and not being able to replace some of these defensive players. Uh, their defense was also propped up last year by a really easy schedule. When they played good offenses, they weren't good. So the regression on defense was a little bit predictable this year. Um, and I think the whole team just suffered from overly high expectations from a really unreal playoff run last year where everything kind of fell into place. And then they capped it off with a truly great performance in the Super Bowl that made it look like the whole thing was justified. But really, they just played a top 5% game for themselves in that Super Bowl. Um, and that was really all they did last year that was impressive enough to to warrant the expectations they had this year. Well, that, and, and last year, if you remember, so not only do they like lead the league in sacks, they also had a great like positive turnover turnover run for a while. It's like, OK, uh, some of that will come back to roost. Let's let's talk about Sirianni. Uh, yes. Yes. Shuma, what did you want to say? I just want to add like last season, their defense also had like Darius Slay for, I think, all the games in much better form. Yeah. They had TJ Edwards at linebacker who was who was much better than what they had this year. Uh, James Bradbury was the capable quarterback too. And they had Monte Maddox in the slot who got injured like, I don't know, week four or something and did not play for the majority of the season. So they also got uh, some bad luck in the injury category. And CJ Gardner-Johnson was also a big Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised yeah. they had to let him go considering he went pretty cheap for one year in Detroit. All right. Um, Nick Sirianni, very confident, cocky coach. A lot of people didn't like how he rubbed them. Uh, one of the fans threw popcorn at him, uh, an Eagles fan, as he was walking off. Uh, the Eagles have been known to fire great coaches uh, despite uh, success. They fired Andy Reid. They fired um, They fired Doug Peterson, uh, what, a year removed from a Super Bowl? So if you're the Eagles, uh, should they move on from Sirianni? This question is going to go for all of you. And if so, who do you like as the replacement? I'll start off with Suma. And then the op other option is, do you keep Sirianni and maybe replace the coordinators? I think I keep Sirianni and replace the coordinators. I, I, I don't think that Sirianni, uh, or I, I don't witness Sirianni as the big issue here. Like, um, like TA said, that offense was still pretty solid overall, dealing with injuries and uh, really, I think sometimes really poorly coached, like, Going into Tampa Bay, you know that Todd Bowles is throwing so many blitzes as you, at you and you have zero answers. Um, I mean, at some point, that's also a head coaching issue, I think, mm -hmm. because he hired the guys and he, he gave them um, all the, the stuff to operate. But um, I think that Sirianni needs to take a deep look into the mirror and think about how he replaces those guys because that switch to Matt Patricia midseason was awful. Uh, obviously, but I don't think that Sirianni really is the issue. I think there's enough of a sample size over three three seasons now that Sirianni is, is, is a very solid coach. And I think next season with a healthy quarterback, with new coordinators, we might be looking differently at that. 
Yeah, he also uh, Cleve makes a lot of uh, sub. Uh, uh, makes a lot of optimal decisions. Like they are aggressive and they know when to go for it. Uh, uh, not just the tush push, but a lot of fourth and short. What do you do, uh, Cleve? Do you think Sirianni should survive? I think you only replace them if you can get one of these elite coaches. And whether you, you know, if you think Belichick still has it, I, I still do. Um, I think if you give him a real quarterback, he he can he can take you know he can add plenty of value. Uh, I, I think if you could replace him with someone like that, uh, then I think you make the move. If not, like I wouldn't fire Sirianni to just hire some young coordinator. Like I don't think that's the answer. Uh, but I will say with Sirianni, um, you know, he did. I, I do know this that it's been out in the public. You know, a couple of years ago when things you know they were struggling in his first season. After you know about seven eight games, um, he gave up play calling duties to to Shane Steichen, and that's where things started to turn around. The back half of that year, they made the playoffs, and then obviously last year. So you know, to Clark's point, you know, losing Steichen was a big deal. And if you're sitting back and you're saying, "All right, so this guy when he first was calling plays halfway through his first season, we were terrible. We we're like two and five, two and six, and we were only good when he gave up play calling duties uh, for the last year and a half." Um, and then now that, you know, he kind of uh, probably is, is much more engaged in the offense this year, you know, maybe we're not as good or maybe we're not making the same type of decisions. You know, maybe it was the coordinators. Maybe it was everybody else but you know, Sirianni who was, you know, adding value here. Um, you know, I can see a, a reason to maybe, you know, that's that's a way to, to make a move is, is find someone who can come in as a little more experienced that can add a little bit more value. I don't know. Uh, I'm just thinking offhand. We're not in that locker room. We don't know. Uh, but that's one. I mean, maybe that's why some of the um, some of the rumblings are, have occurred. And then also Jalen Hurts, the way he answers questions, he never really supports Sirianni. He always is pretty vague on that stuff. So you know, there could be more than meets the eye when it comes to the locker room. And and that's you know that could go a long way with with a roster like this. Uh, if that's if that's what they think is going to help solve you know that potential issue, then you know that's something that the they should they should take a, into consideration. Clark, let's let's work under Cleve's assumption that you only fire him if there's a really good option. I'm going to present you three, and you tell me if you think the Eagles would be smart to make the switch. Okay, Bill Belichick, first one up. Yes. Uh, Mike Vrabel. Yes. Jim Harbaugh. Probably. I don't really know Jim Harbaugh that well. Um, like, I don't watch college football. I know he was in the NFL a while back, but I mean, that was before I was like as engaged. My my assumption is the same as as TA's, which is that there's information we don't know here. Like if Sirianni mm -hmm. acts the way he does in the locker room that he does publicly, like I I mean I just don't like the guy at all. Like I, I've never I can't remember ever rooting against a head coach. Like there've been head coaches that I don't that I think make bad decisions or you know I wish they would make better decisions, but there's not been a head coach that I just actively root against the way that I do with Sirianni. And if any of his players, if he's lost any of his players with that kind of attitude, um, I think that, that that it might be you know beneficial for the team to clean house. Like like uh, you know if, if Jalen Hurts isn't behind his head coach, that's a big deal. But I don't know that. That's pure speculation. And and without that kind of information, also if he didn't if he made the decision to hire or elevate Matt Patricia, that's on him. If it was someone else, that's not on him. So there's so many pieces of information here that I think people that making this decision have that information. We don't. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's crucial for making a decision. If you well, let me, let me say something real quick too. It should be noted. Uh, Sean Desai was not their first choice in DC. All right. I know a little bit about this and he, he was like their fifth choice. Yeah. So 
like that was not so maybe it's literally as simple as all right you got to get your guy to come here and play defense or the coach defense and maybe that's why patricia was elevated because he was not and and, and again people are defending the side it's not like the defense was good in the first you know eight ten games whatever it was no um, it got marginally worse like people it got marginally like, worse it was, it was still bad you know, it, wasn't great. it went bad yeah it, it wasn't especially, yeah especially compared to, to the, the the schedule that they faced so i don't know they, there's so many different things here um and, you know, it would have been nice to have a, a, a better succession plan for a guy like Sirianni or uh, Shane Steichen. But, you know, that's hard to do. It's hard to develop within. And not everyone is a star, <laughs> you know, from a coaching perspective. But, uh, yeah, they definitely they're going to do something, whether it be, you know, replacing Sirianni or just replacing both coordinators. But I think they're definitely going to do something. All right. Let's move on to Dallas. Uh, Suma. Dallas was the only high higher seed to lose this week. Every other home team won. Uh, we had a lot to say about McCarthy's great play calling and Dak having one of his best years ever. And my question to you is, does that all get uh, invalidated the second you lose as the two seed when you're expected to win? Um, is that out the window? Is Mike McCarthy's goodwill all burned up here? I think it matters from the Cowboys' point of view because all they care about is reaching the NFC Championship game at least not uh, or even the super bowl so um having this kind of season and losing in the playoffs might not be that bad for many many other teams but it's bad for the cowboys i think or i expected them to move on from mac mccarthy at least uh watching uh jerry in the in the, in the stands and um what he said after the game i, I really immediately thought that he's going to fire Mike McCarthy. So I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't already. But to be honest, like, what would a different coach have done differently is my question. Like, the Cowboys had a good season, won 12 games. Then in the playoffs, their defense completely collapses against a super uh, aggressive and smart uh, Packers offense. And... Dak Prescott throws two really awful interceptions. Like I, I can understand why you want to move on from Mike McCarthy, but I don't see the case that hey, a different coach would have won that game against the Packers or whatever. Yeah. I think this is just a, or it was a super talented team. They will have a lot of decisions to make uh, with their roster, uh, lots of free agents, but I don't think that any other coach would have done uh, completely differently in the situation. Clark, isn't it funny how reputations uh, are perceived even in the face of a, a lack of evidence, like Philly's seen as this, you know, very analytical organization, smart. Um, and, and, and you think like a team that doesn't want to rock the boat and they'll pull the trigger and fire a coach. And then Dallas, Jerry's perceived as this hothead can act emotionally, but, He's given all his coaches some rope, like he's let them have their time out. Now, that being said, uh, Bill Belichick wasn't available uh, before uh, before now. And there's got to be some of Jerry that's intrigued of firing McCarthy to bring in Bill, right? Yeah, and this is a very difficult spot for the Cowboys because kind of like what Cleve T.A. said about the Eagles, if you can find someone better than McCarthy, then I think you should at this moment. But there's no guarantee you're going to be able to find someone better than McCarthy. 
And, you, you know, it, how can you surreptitiously go about a job search to replace a guy that you don't want to you don't want to tell him that you've lost confidence publicly? Uh, and I think that that makes for a really tough spot, because if you could guarantee if Belichick came in, it's like, I will coach for you if you will hire me. I think Jerry Jones would probably fire McCarthy and say, come on, Bill. But that's different than let's interview Bill while he's choosing, you know, where he wants to go. And then the rumor gets out that McCarthy's lost confidence and now you have to move on. And now maybe you're stuck with like, you know, someone that's never coached before or someone in a more precarious situation. And you could be taking a back step in a time where your roster is good enough to compete in the NFC. Um, so that's a really, really tough balance. You know, I, I think Mike McCarthy is fine as a head coach. I think we overreact sometimes to single results and, you know, playoff games. There's a lot of variance. Things happen like Jair makes that interception. Refs could have called a flag, maybe, you know, changes some of the outcome of that early game. Like there's just so many things that happen in a game that I, I think hammering McCarthy because he lost two playoff games, uh, one against a very good 49ers team. Um, I, I don't know. I, like I, he, he's put on enough body of work for me to have confidence in him as a head coach. But if you can upgrade, I would try to. All right, Cleve, let's let's uh let's play, let's walk down this lane, okay? Um one time, once upon a time, Jerry brought in Bill Parcells. And you know, Belichick has many Parcells tendencies. Uh, he learned from him. The problem is Jerry is a very involved owner, like he's the only owner GM, as far as I know, in the NFL. And Bill's had the most power of a head coach uh, in the NFL for a long time. Is it possible these two could coexist? Well, it sounds like at the press conference, um, he did say that he, he doesn't have to, you know, to be the GM wherever he goes like that. The personnel decisions don't have to all be with him. So it sounds like he's willing to give that up. I think at his age, like I think he's just wants to coach. Uh, I, I, quite honestly, I think, He'd probably be okay with the uh, kind of hands off of the personnel, you know, but it's, you never know when you actually get in there. But I mean, I think at, you know, at the, some point you have to just like put your hands up and be like, all right, I'm not doing, doing well here in this specific role. He's smart enough to figure that out. And you know, it all, you, you hear other people that know him well, sounds like he's not that egotistical with a, from the personnel standpoint. Now he does have like a culture, a type of player that he likes. So I could see him saying, like, this guy doesn't fit in our locker room or it you know, doesn't, kind of fit what I'm looking for. Like maybe let's, let's replace him. So I can see him kind of changing over some guys that's currently in there, but in terms of, you know, I, I need to, to run the draft. I, I'm not sure he, he's going to ask for that, but again, it's just speculation. I, I will say one real quick thing, you know, uh, Stuma said it wasn't the um, coaching. Like I'm not a McCarthy fan, never been, never have been. He didn't, how many Super Bowls did he, did he take Aaron Rodgers in his prime? Like once uh, didn't really advance that deep as often as you would think. Um, the, I mean, he's made mistakes the last couple of years in, in playoffs, you know, end of game situations. He always is a terrible end of game coach. Uh, you know, he did increase his early down pass rate this year, which is like the one thing that you can kind of give him credit for. Like he did adjust that way, but they weren't, they weren't throwing the ball early in this game. I mean, they actually had a, um, 30, 30% early down pass rate, uh, in neutral game situations. So it's not like there's that many plays. But early in the game, like I don't think he called a good early early uh, situation, um, uh, early game situationally, um, offensively, and you know that that led to some of them, you know, being put in the hole. And then defensively, like they're playing with like light boxes all, you know, consistently early in that game, and they're just running Aaron Jones right down their throat, and they didn't adjust at all. So you know there could be merit to you know he could have made a few few changes here, 
uh, during during that game to to adjust things. I just don't think he's a good coach. I think he's a good regular season coach. I don't think he's a guy that I put my faith in and my trust in uh, to win me a Super Bowl. But you know, and I think the roster has enough pieces in it to to make a run. So I could see them making that change. I totally forgot, and thanks to Beat Gamer for reminding me that Dave Tepper is also the GM of Carolina and decides who they should take first overall and stake their whole franchise to. All right, Bill Belichick fired uh, a week uh, a week ago, or you know they stepped down, mutual parting of the ways. Uh, he's got three amazing options potentially: Dallas, Philadelphia, Atlanta. Which one would it attract you the most? You know, obviously Philly and Dallas have uh, the most ready-made roster and the quarterback in place, but Atlanta's got a fantastic owner. He would get a lot more say in the roster decision-making and a soft division. Uh, Suma, let's start with you. If you're Bill, which which of those three jobs appeals to you the most? Yeah, You hinted at it. I think the, the most interesting question is whether Bill would simply take a classic head coaching role or whether he wants to be that CEO type of guy again, because he will not get that at Dallas. Uh, like, there's no not going to be a... Howie Roseman is not going to let him decide uh, yes. an offensive guard 26th overall. That won't happen. Yes, like, can you imagine them sitting in a war room and Bilchik overruling Jerry, like, on a, on a player who to take at the draft spot 26th? I, I can't see it. I mean... In Atlanta, it's Terry Fontenot. Um, I think um, that's like a softer structure for Bill to get into. So I would lean Atlanta. And it's not like Atlanta needs too much to, to, to rebuild or, or stuff like that. I mean, they need a new quarterback, but the offensive uh, roster is pretty well-rounded. There are some pieces on defense. So out of those three, I would probably see atlanta as the best fit yeah uh cleave uh clark let's start with you clark which of those three do you think is the most appealing uh for me i think it depends on what his goal is if his goal is to break the wins record then i would think dallas uh, but if his goal is more legacy focused and like can i build another really good team then i think atlanta is the place to go where there's some cap room there's some you know, winnable divisional games, there's sort of a, a growth arc there. So I, I don't know whether he's looking at this like, man, I got to coach a couple more years to get that record. Or if he just wants to coach until he can't coach anymore and like is serious about building, you know, a long-term successful franchise like he did in New England. Um, so I think for me, those are the two options that hinge on his goals. Cleve? Yeah, I would probably put Atlanta last just because a guy in his 70s still doesn't have a quarterback. Like, who's who's quarterbacking for, for Atlanta? What are their great options? Like, I don't know. Um, there's nothing there that I could sit there and say, all right, well, we've got a quarterback, just you know, a young quarterback on a rookie deal. We don't even know. They're not even drafting high enough right now to guarantee themselves a top three quarterback here. So I would I would push it. I mean, I like Atlanta. I think Vrabel Atlanta is perfect, but um I, I mean, either Philly or Dallas. I'd go Philly just because I think uh, the the organization uh, is better, more stable um, than than Dallas. So I just go with Philly. Yeah, I can almost promise you wherever he goes, I think Josh McDaniel is the uh, chalk favorite to be the new offensive coordinator. All right, I've been avoiding this. Um, let's start with Clark. You mentioned once upon a time, uh, maybe this morning or last night, that the difficulty when you pay Jalen Hurts uh, top five quarterback money, uh, 
building a roster around him is very difficult. If you're GM of the Dolphins, what do you do with Tua's situation? Do you extend him? Do you let him play out a fifth year? It's a tough question. Um, I think Tua and Hertz are different in the sense that Hertz's success was built on elite weapons and elite offensive line play, whereas I think Tua's success is built on elite weapons and elite scheming. And the reason why that distinction matters is because McDaniel is staying with Miami. The scheme will be there. The question is, can they fill in enough explosive players on offense? You know, when Tyree Kill leaves, can they replace that? Um, and if they can, like his time to throw is so quick, he's not relying on elite offensive line play. So I think I think that makes it more likely that Tua's success will continue, even if he gets paid. Um, but I also think that if you pay him too much, then you know you do cripple yourself in terms of team building, especially on defense. But I would I would be fine extending Tua for the right price, you know, like more of a Dak Prescott range contract, uh, maybe even a little cheaper, maybe Kirk Cousins. Um, but if he's demanding the type of you know payment that the very very top top five guys get, I would rather him you know make him play on a fifth year contract uh, fifth year option. I, I I know that it's a business and there's way more considerations than you know what is the optimal decision for our Super Bowl winning chances. There's so much more to it than that, but. Um, just off the cuff, I, I I don't think that Tua, I don't think that paying Tua a top five rate would be beneficial for the Dolphins franchise. Uh, I tend to echo that. I think uh, Kyler Murray's contract, I think he's like the seventh highest paid guy now, around forty three million, is probably where you need to aim. Um, that being said, Cleve, uh, what do you think the extension will look like? Obviously, his agent's going to wow. push for top money. Is to a, like and obviously when Trevor Lawrence gets his deal and Dak and Mahomes redoes it, it won't be top five again. But when he signs on the dotted line, do you think he's a top five paid quarterback in that moment? I don't. I don't think so. I personally like. I don't. I don't agree with paying. You know, decent, not great quarterbacks, elite money. Like I just. I just refuse to do that because we've just seen that you can find competent enough quarterback, competent enough, I'm not saying like great quarterback play for way cheaper and build around it and then kind of bridge yourself to, to find that guy. Like we just seen it too many times and you get the guys like, you know, golf and Wentz and even Flacco back in the day that just because the teams were felt like they had to pay them just because they, because they were winning, they had to do it and their time was up. But in realistically, none of them panned out. Uh, at the end of the day. And so, and we see it all the time. It's like the Andy Dalton line. Like once you're in that Andy Dalton range, like you can't pay that guy elite money. It just cripples the rest of your, your roster. So I personally, especially with, you know, the system that we've seen, you know, has worked with non, you know, expensive quarterbacks. Like, I think there are ways to find, um, find quarterbacks good enough to, to make the system work. And if you've got guys like Waddle and Tyreek Hill, and now you've got, you know, uh, at chain at, at running back, like you've got explosiveness all over the field. You just need a point guard to get in the ball. Like, I don't think you, I don't think the, the added value, uh, above what you're going to have to pay, like a, a cheaper quarterback is worth it for, for a guy like Tua. All right. Um, Suma, we saw Tua's limitations. If he's not playing in a dome or warm weather, uh, when it gets into, you know, blizzard or, or rain or anything where you need to rely on some physical advantages, Tua just doesn't have that in him. What is Miami ceiling with Tua? Like, they have to be a home seed because, God, you play in a conference with Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. If you're going on the road, 
you're playing in cold weather two to three times to get to the Super Bowl. What is Miami's ceiling with a guy like Tua? I would not I wouldn't even argue too much with the weather because we saw him completely having dud games in domes in good weather, like uh first sorry, Josh, first game at Buffalo this year. Uh in Frankfurt against KC. It was in the dome, uh, roof was closed. Um against Buffalo in week 18, last year at San Francisco in a dorm against the Chargers. So I think we have a decent sample size that he is very good within the confines of the scheme with arguably the best one-two punch at wide receiver against worse defenses, not the great ones. But as soon as there is a defense that can take something away in this offense, we see drastic limitations. Like Bills and KC did a great job at taking away the middle of the field. Some teams, I think it was the Eagles earlier this year, correct me if I'm wrong, they completely erased the run game. And as soon as you take something away from this offense, two as not the guy who can create out of structure, can get physical with his legs. I think he has like a few scrambles for like two yards per carry or something this year. So he is clearly lacking the physical upside. And I think as soon as some defenses figure out how they can take something away, he gets completely limited. And that's, in my opinion, not a guy you want to pay top of the market money going forward because if you pay him top of the market, we, we all know that you don't have as much money anymore for the rest of your team. So, um, I mean, he's probably still better, but he it, it reminds me a little bit of the Jimmy Garoppolo discussions from like two or three uh, seasons ago. Like Garoppolo was playing at a very high production level, top three EPA per play success rates uh, in that Shanahan offense. But there, sometimes there were games where he's severely limited. He, had done, he did not possess the physical traits, pocket passer. I think two is better than him, but it reminds me a little bit of that um, discussion. Yeah, what I think the Dolphins probably should do is you try to get him in at a Kyler Murray number, but I also think you need to... St- be start looking for potentially the next guy um, and maybe take a, a, a gamble on someone in round two with physical traits yeah. that you can develop like the, the way Green Bay developed Jordan Love um, and Rogers before that right smart organizations that realize you have to be developing the next guy uh, let's get into the games then um, Houston at Baltimore I'll tell you what, I think Houston has found their guy. C.J. Stroud probably is the best-looking rookie quarterback since uh, ever. Um, Houston lost Noah Brown for the season. Uh, Jerry Hughes is injured. For the Ravens, the last time we saw them, Marlon Humphrey, Odafe Owe, and Zay Flowers were hurt. We don't know their status coming out of the break. Right now, it's minus 9.5, plus 102. Um, Suma, let's start with you. There was a lot of discussion on what this game should open up at some saying as high as nine and a half, 10 it opened at nine and it's mostly nine with a few nine fives out there, but they're juiced one way. Are you surprised by this open? Do you expect it to move in a direction either way? No, I'm not really that surprised. Um, I don't think it ever, if I had a big chance to get to the 10, because when you look at the, at, at the Texans offense, like, we are at a point, I think you all, you guys all agree that Stroud is probably going to be a very, very good quarterback, like top eight-ish 
guy in the league. If you had to rank quarterbacks going to next season, you will probably land somewhere in that five to eight range. Clark maybe higher. And he is paired with a decent offensive line and a smart play cooler uh, play caller who had some issues when it comes to runways and stuff like that. But but overall, I think the way that they made the supposed to be best defense in the league look like a college unit on some of these plays. Sorry, DA. But I think that is is a pairing of a probably very very good quarterback and. I don't think that you can get these types of offenses 10 points in, in like any playoff setting. So I was not very surprised that is this is below the 10. And, and it also took some Texans money like one hour ago, ago or something. Yep. Um, Clark, it opened 46, 46 and a half. We bet down to 44. There are some 44 and a halfs out there. What's driving that? Is it weather or was it too high a number? Like what kind of game does this profile as to you? I think there's several reasons for that move. Uh, the first is potential weather is always going to drop totals. Uh, but I think there's a chance. Okay, so so we saw last week the, the Texans go against an elite defense in the Browns. But I talked about how the Browns' defensive performances, most of their really, really good performances came against bad offenses. And they just absolutely crushed them and smothered them. The Ravens are a little different. They actually have crushed some very good offenses. The Lions come to mind. Uh, the Seahawks, are, you know, an offense with a pulse, they absolutely smacked him. Miami, they did a very good job against the 49ers. They really smacked around. And so the idea that the Ravens would be able to shut down CJ Stroud, I think is much more plausible than the idea that the Browns would be able to. So that's one thing. And then the other side, you know, weather not only brings down totals generally, but I think there's a couple of things about Lamar Jackson specifically. One is, you know, he has had fumbling issues sometimes. There have been some fumbled snaps and key moments in the past. Uh, weather tends to increase those. Um, and he's also much more reliant on downfield passing this year than he has been in previous years which has been a great thing but also means that he might be more susceptible to an offensive drop-off in in bad conditions than he may have been in the past when he was more likely to just tuck and run um so i think that's kind of a factor is is how much you have to answer the question of how much you think lamar is going to shift towards being more aggressive in the run game because i think if he does that then um, i think it's gonna be beneficial for the ravens and especially if the weather's better uh, well, Cleve, let's talk about the weather. Um, right now, it looks like heavy wind and freezing cold. Who does that affect more, Stroud or Lamar? Uh, it's absolutely Stroud. So uh, as a proud Ohio State alum, has watched every snap of uh, C.J. Stroud's career at Ohio State, you know, the one area that he struggled in, well, it was pressure, but everybody struggled with pressure, uh, was any sort of windy, rainy conditions. He just wasn't nearly as effective. And then you, you know, against Northwestern last year was a perfect example. Now that was, I mean, that was like 30 mile an hour winds, uh, but he was, he couldn't complete a pass. It was really, really bad. And then even this year, you know, he's played some, some kind of bad weather games uh, in, in Baltimore in the opener. That was just rain mainly um, against the jets. He was atrocious. I mean, a horrendous. <laughs> and that was a game where Zach Wilson threw for 300 yards. It was raining. It was some wind, but you know, he was, he looked terrible. So, you know, we do have a couple of examples of when he's had to face any sort of kind of adverse uh, conditions from a weather perspective. He's not nearly as good. Now, again, sample size small, but that's all we can go by so far. Um, and again, uh, uh, you know, he, he was awesome against the Browns. Browns, you can use their aggressiveness against them and, and take some deep shots, which they did. You know, he was good. He was not getting pressured. They did not get, get to him at all. 
So that was a good job by the offensive line and by Bobby Slowick, who, I, you know, out of nowhere just decided to not run the ball on every first down, which was surprising after the prior week against the Colts. So I thought he, he, he called a great game. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think Mike McDonald is, is one of the better, maybe the best at defensive coach in the NFL right now from a scheme standpoint, a strategy standpoint. So he's got an extra week to prepare against a rookie quarterback. They've already faced him once. So that's going to be positive. And, you know, it's a tough spot for a, a rookie quarterback who only has really one one wide receiver to go to. I mean, he's got no other options. So I can see McDonald really, you know, taking Nico Collins away a little bit more than the Browns did. And, you know, then what are you going to go to? You know, the other side of the ball, um, you know, Lamar has faced, you know, windy conditions in the past, not necessarily been that successful. But, you know, even a handful of weeks ago in Jacksonville on that Sunday night, that was pretty, that was a windy, really windy game and he was fine. So he at least has experience in it. But Houston's a really good run defense. So if they are forced to run the ball, that's going to kind of play into the Houston Texans' hands. So it might keep them, you know, in this game longer than they maybe should be. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's definitely an advantage uh, when it's all said and done to to Baltimore just because, you know, we've seen him be successful. Uh, we've seen Lamar Jackson be successful, and we've never really seen Stroud be successful in it. Suma, we all remember the, the game where Bobby Slowick figured out he's got a franchise QB. Uh, they were down big against Tampa, and their kicker was out, and he decided, oh, let's just throw the ball, and wow, Stroud's pretty good. Uh, he also let him cook last week. Uh, do you expect to, this to continue past first mentality, or do you think Bobby Sloak is going to revert back to his old ways eventually? Tough to say. Really tough to say. Um, <laughs> I really hope that he would not go back to his old ways because I like good football and imagining this Texans offense uh, pounding the rock on early downs against that uh, Ravens defense is not something I would like to see come come Saturday. Um, so um, wait and see mode for me. Um, Clark, uh, remember last year um, this specific round, all the big all the big uh, favorites in the bye week teams were in teaser range, and everybody said, "Oh, that's just you know, it's too obvious. No way this teaser can hit." And like they all they all fucking hit. Like if Baltimore gets to eight and a half. Is it an automatic teaser to two and a half? Uh, no, I don't think so. And uh, I'm trying to remember what the other spreads are. Is there even a second leg? Yeah, uh, there's one uh, uh, in the final game we'll talk about. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, no, not for me. I, I think that Stroud presents a lot of variance in this matchup, and you don't you don't want to be betting teasers into variance. Like, there's a chance based on the way he's played the last three weeks since his injury that. He just is the guy. He is the next Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady type player where he's getting nine and a half points. You just bet on him. We're not there yet. I'm not saying that's who Stroud is, but that's within his range of outcomes. Um, and so if that's the case, I, I don't really want to tease a leg on Baltimore, even down to two and a half. Um, so if, if this was a much more predictable outcome, then I would tease it, but not, not in this situation. Cleve, um, Josh Allen ran the ball a lot this week. And, and uh, like I started to think about he didn't run much this year, but it's almost as if they were preserving his body and not taking the hits. But when the chips were down, they realized how big a weapon Josh Allen's legs are. Is there a chance that Lamar, who maybe didn't run as much, might get more run because they realize, hey, we've got two home games and then we're in the Super Bowl? Is that is that a situation that you might be monitoring? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he just didn't really need to run, I guess, as much because <laughs> the the pass offense is is a lot more um, prolific, I guess, as compared to prior years. So I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that. Uh, I'm not sure what his internal like. If he just wants to be a quarterback, wants to be a pocket quarterback, like that's his goal, um, you know, and maybe he just wants to preserve himself. I, I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, that's something to definitely take keep an eye on. Um, but I'm sure if he has to. If he has to use his legs to make plays, he'll do that. But I'm not sure that's going to be one of those where they're just going to call a bunch of design runs for him in this game. Uh, might be surprised at that, but you know, I'm sure. I'm sure if he needs to use his legs, he will. All right, let's move on to Green Bay, San Francisco. Um, the last time we saw San Francisco, Arik Armstead hasn't played in a few weeks. AJ Dillon missed last week, and the only injury to watch is Jair Alexander, who got hurt. Right now, Pinnacles got minus ten plus one hundred. It's essentially a nine and a half. Um, let's start off with you, Clark. San Francisco opened nine and a half, got bet up to 10 and then back down to nine and a half. Does this number surprise you that there's there's some interest on both sides? Where do you see it going from here? No, this one is a game where I'm pretty much right on market. Like I, I totally understand both sides of it. I've been riding the love you know train for weeks now, but this is, you know, this is a very, very good 49ers team. And in particular, this is a 49ers offense that when they play bad defenses, they just they run over them. I mean, it's like it's easy. It's like nothing's hard. Guys are open. The run game's working. And the Packers defense, although it's been playing fairly well the last couple of weeks, is still not a good defense. And I think the 49ers are going to be able to do whatever they want. Um, but the reason why I don't want to bet the 49ers is because that is a huge spread to give a quarterback that's playing at the level that Jordan Love is similar to CJ Stroud. Jordan Love's been playing his best football late in the year in the last three or four weeks. Um, and so that's just not a situation where I want to go into a game, giving 10 points to a quarterback playing at that level. Uh, the Packers offense also can win on the offensive line in this game, even against a good 49ers defensive front. I think there'll be some wins on both sides, but the, what the Packers want to do is win in the run game and enforce defensive mistakes that Love can capitalize down, on downfield. And the 49ers secondary can make those mistakes. So I'm not confident enough in the 49ers to lay the points, but um, this is not a team that I'm looking to bet against in the playoffs. All right, Suma, uh, some recreational books opened the total 48.5. It got bet immediately. Sharper books opened at 49.5.50. It's now at you know around that number. If If the weather clears up and holds... Are you expecting money in the on the over? Like, does this profile as a game where we're going to see a lot of points scored? Yeah, I tend to lean yes. I think uh, fifty-one is probably a a very good range if if the weather clears. There might be some rain, but with a weather forecast like uh, five days out, like rain timing can shift pretty easily. So we will see. I think fifty-one is a pretty good range and. Uh, to piggyback on what uh, Clark has said, I mean, the Niners' defense is not great this year. Like, we have seen teams throwing the ball on them, and with the way this Packers offense is playing, I think there will be opportunities to take advantage of. So I would expect both teams to score. So a, a total of 51 in that range with clear weather probably makes sense. And I also it, think it made some sense that we saw the spread coming off the 10 earlier today because in it's it's the same variance case for John Love as for CJ Straw because this is a very good offense against a not non-elite defense. And I would not be surprised if the Packers can put up some some scores here. 
Uh, Cleve, you oftentimes um, will bet a team total as opposed to a total. I guess it's more uh, of trusting um, one side to do their part versus the other. Jordan Love sometimes has a dud, right? We, we remember we were all high on him, and then the Giants game happened. And obviously, he's put together a lot more good performances than not. Do you think someone might be better off taking a San Fran over as opposed to um, a game over just because you at least know that San Fran will move the ball well and it builds in in case Jordan Love has the hiccups? I don't know. I mean, it's such a high number. What is it? It's got to be about 30, right? Probably going to be about 30, yeah. Yeah, and so they'll always – I mean, the Niners are always at least sniffing around that number at worst. So you'll give yourself a shot, but – you know, if if they get some turnovers early or if, if, you know, if Green Bay kind of struggles early, you know, there is a case where the Niners and Shanahan's a guy who likes to sit on the ball. He is not necessarily a guy that, you know, will throw deep all the time in the fourth quarter, went up two, two scores. Like he's he's more about just run. He'll just run it out. Uh, so you would run the risk of maybe they go up, you know, 24, you know, seven and they just kind of run the ball out. I don't, I don't know. But at least you give yourself a chance because, it, it, like you said, it, it is, uh, you know, I always feel like they're sniffing around that number. I will say, and, and you know, I know, uh, Clark, you were going back and forth with somebody um, mid last week about the Packers defense. And and I think I chimed in that um, if you look at some of their performances when everyone's healthy, and I don't, you know, uh, when I say everyone, I mean the key guys like Alexander, Campbell, and Savage. Those are probably the three of their four best defenders. When those guys have been healthy together, they've only been they've only played like five or six games together. They've been really good. They actually have like a top five level EPA defense. Now that is against some some bad opponents, so I do have to caveat that. But I do I don't think they're as bad as their kind of raw overall ranking is. And I think we saw some of that last week against Dallas. You know they played much better. They forced some turnovers. They you know they did a really good job on that on Dak and that offense. So. I would be a little concerned to just assume that this is the same Packers defense we saw most of the year. I think they're, I think the way they are right now, they're a little bit better than maybe what uh, what we perceive. So that that would give me a little hesitation on the total. Uh, but I, you know, I was curious. And, you know, I like to profile some of these games. Um, you know, you got you got a top five EPA offense right now at Green Bay, uh, and I did this last week too with Dallas. Um, you know how often a top five EPA offense has been an underdog to this degree in any round of the playoffs since 2000. It's only happened 13 times. Uh, the underdog is nine and four, or sorry, 10 and four after, after last week. So 14 times. Um, so when you're getting a touchdown or more with this level of offense and almost pretty much every time um, this has happened, the opponent, like the Niners are a top 10 offense too. So it's not just one way, you know, you're giving uh, like a Clark said, you're giving a really good offense and a really good quarterback who's hot that many points, you're always live to not only you know not only cover but win. And historically, at least in the last twenty plus years, uh, these teams have been able to cover at a, at a pretty high rate. So it's something to keep keep your eye on. Uh, Beat Gamer uh, reminds us that Mark Andrews uh, was out there running around a little bit, and obviously we don't think he'll be ready for this game. But man, if they get to the Super Bowl and he's back, that'll be a big boost. Um, Nathan asked earlier. Um, which big dog do you like the most this week, guys? All right, let's 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 stick to these two. Um, who's more vulnerable for an upset, San Francisco or Baltimore? Cleve, we'll start with you. Wow, it's tough. I mean, more vulnerable. Like, I wish you could flip. I wish Green Bay was playing Baltimore because <laughs> then I would say 
definitely say I think I'd pick Green Bay over Baltimore as the better chance. Um, I just think matchup wise, um, it's just hard. I would say Baltimore only if it is. I mean, again, I, I haven't really looked at the weather today. I saw yesterday that there was, you know, some decent wind. So if 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 there is some decent wind or if it is kind of, you know, it increases the variance and, you know, maybe Houston has, has got a better shot of winning. Um, but I'll I'll go with I'll go with uh, San Francisco as the vulnerable team only because you still have, you know, Brock Purdy is still Brock Purdy. Right. Like as great as much as I've hyped him up, like he can be slowed down. He, do, he doesn't have the pedigree. Um, some of these other quarterbacks that that, you know, like a Lamar Jackson. So, you know, when he if he does fall behind early, like does he have the you know, does he have the ability to come back? We don't know that really. Um, and you do have a, a high level quarterback in offense, uh, like I said, with with uh, with Green Bay, which I think is better, a better offense in Houston uh, right now. Uh, I would take um, the Green Bay overall just because of the, I think Aaron Jones is so dynamic, too. So I'll go. I was going to say San Francisco amongst all of them is the most vulnerable. I'd love to hear in the comments from people watching. Who do you think That's is a good question? Vulnerable? It's a very well, good question. Well, like uh, we know in the NFL, Suma, that like the better quarterback usually wins, or at least the great ones win at a high rate in their career. Uh, Brock Purdy is probably not the better quarterback in the game, or at least it's close uh, for discussion. And he's laying nine and a half, right? Like in every other spot, Lamar yeah. is the better quarterback. Uh, Suma, who's more vulnerable, uh, Baltimore or San Francisco? Better QB getting points in the Niners Packers game. <laughs> That's it, <laughs> That's right? what you wanted to say. It's a lot, it's a lot of points. <laughs> You're saying that he's not going to get blown out, Clark. Uh, uh, is that a, a sweep here? We all think San Francisco is the most vulnerable. You think it's Baltimore? No, I think Baltimore is more vulnerable. I, I I have more confidence in the consistency of the 49ers offense against that Green Bay defense than I do in the Ravens offense, which has been explosive, but also has had some misses and sometimes where things aren't working. They're also coming off three weeks uh, since their last meaningful game. Um, and so, you know, the idea that maybe there's a chance they're rusty coming out, like that's has some plausibility. So uh, CJ Stroud is also better than Jordan Love, in my opinion. I, th I think Jordan Love's offensive structure is better, play calling and offensive line in particular. But CJ Stroud is, is a absolute stud at quarterback and, you know, give me him for the live upset. All right, let's go Tampa, Detroit. Uh, the only real injuries to watch are Khalif Raymond and James Houston, if he'll be back. Uh, right now, the line is currently sitting at six and a half. And Khalif, there was a lot of debate about where this number would open at. Our friend Adam Chernoff said, uh, floated the idea of Detroit minus four. And that was before Tampa Bay dominated Philly. There was a lot of pushback amongst us who thought that was uh, very generous or very short. And sure enough, despite a Tampa Bay blow win, it opens up Detroit minus six, and now it's up to six and a half. I guess my question is, does it continue that way, or do you think at some point there's going to be some Tampa interest? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I don't think it's going to get to seven, if that's the question. Um, you know, I was – when he said four, <laughs> I was like salivating. I said, oh, please. And I had Tampa every which way last night, so I figured they would – I thought they could win. So I was like, oh, please have them win by 20 plus. So this could get down to four because then I would pound Detroit. But yeah, I think this number is about right. Uh, I thought it would be five and a half, six. So, you know, once we start getting to six and a half, now it's getting a little bit rich. Um, but I think that I think I just think Detroit is the much better team. You know, as much as I backed Tampa all year and in, in the offseason, like there are limits to them and they haven't faced the most difficult of schedules and. 
um, you know, this is going to be by far their toughest test in, in a while. So, you know, I think that uh, I think this is a tough, tough ask. We've already seen these teams play once and Baker had a single worst game from an EPA perspective all year against this Detroit defense. And that was at home. Uh, they, you know, for whatever reason, he just he really struggled. Uh, again, that was against the secondary, by the way, in the first game. They didn't have Brian Branch or C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So those are a couple of guys out that weren't even in there that are going to be in there this week. And then, you know, the other side of the ball, I mean, Jared Goff was, was outstanding. He had 350-plus yards. And for him to do that in an outdoor game, that tells you something. And, uh, you know, and Tampa was healthy in that game too. And then, you know, Detroit was missing Jonah Jackson. There, I think Laporta was hurt too. And uh, they didn't have Jameer Gibbs. So they were not at 100%. They still blew, blew that game out. Now, I know it was funny because I think, George, that was the game that you kind of eyed – the Detroit, you, you watched the film and you said that there were some plays, you know, left on the field. I think there were a couple yeah. deep balls that Baker missed um, that kind of opened your eyes to maybe this Detroit defense isn't nearly as good yeah. uh, as, as maybe the numbers suggested. So maybe there's things I, I ha, I'd like to go back. I'm not a film guy per se. Like I watch every game, but um, I don't break them down. I, I might do that for this game because I want to see that with my eye. I remember watching it in a corner of my eye and seeing Tampa continually struggle, but maybe there were plenty of plays left on the field there that, you know, could be used to our advantage here. Maybe, um, you know, cons- you know, maybe that's why this number is kind of uh, being inflated a little bit is what happened in that first matchup. But uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If, if you want to tell us kind of what you saw in that game, because that could drive, maybe help me uh, figure out what I want to do in this game. Yeah. You just Twitter search Trey Palmer lions and you'll see <laughs> Baker missed them on two wide open touchdowns where he got way behind everyone in the secondary and yep. Clark, we did. We we pinpointed this game, and I'm like, I know that it was 20 to six, but I don't feel Tampa Bay got blown out in this game, and I don't, you know, I don't want to break my arm patting myself on the back. But since then, Detroit games have averaged like 52 points a game, and their defense, you know, started to get exposed for for being bad, at least against the pass. The total's 48 and a half. Uh, are we gonna get a lot of points? Do you feel this is gonna be a bit of like the Rams Lions where? At, at one point, it looked like neither team could stop either team. It was actually crazy. Like it, it felt like every single drive was going for a touchdown. I came away from the Lions Rams game a little bit more impressed with the Lions defense than I had been previously. I think I think they've been playing a little better, especially since they got Aline McNeil back. Um, and and I I felt like that was more so Stafford making insane level plays as a quarterback than it was the Lions like letting stuff happen. It's it's kind of hard to distinguish sometimes when you're watching which of those two things it is. But um, I thought I thought Stafford played an A-plus game and the Lions still won outright. So I, I was impressed with with the Lions in that game. And and you always have the potential problem of, you know, are the Bucks going to revert back to run, run, pass football? And if that's the case, like it gets hard to hit these big, big overs. Uh, if we can expect the same sort of aggressiveness and pass rate that we saw against the Eagles, then this total makes sense to me. But um, I, I have a few too many questions. There was some plays, though, where like Puka is taking 15 yard catches in, into 50 because they don't they didn't do a good job of tackling well. But uh, that's actually the question I wanted to throw to you, Suma, was about the coaching. And stick with me here because I'm going to throw five questions at you at once. Uh, I guess my first one is Dave Canales didn't run into a brick wall last night. He decided to let Baker throw first. Um, the other part is Todd Bowles drew up a, a great strategy. He went zero blitz on Jalen Hurts and said, just beat us if you can. 
And I wonder who has the, like, is there a big coaching mismatch here? Because, you know, Dan Campbell's uh, uber aggressive and Todd Bowles can be passive at times. And then Ben Johnson's a, a brilliant offensive play caller. And sometimes Canales runs too often. Where do you think the coaching advantage lies in this game? So I think that Ben Johnson's going to have uh, an advantage against that Todd Bowles defense. I, I don't think that Tampa, Tampa Bay's defense is really that good. I think that the Lions are probably set up to have a decent offensive game. But on the other side, I also think that Dave Canales uh, against Aaron is a slight mismatch for, for the Lions. And I really like that. I, I think uh, TA tweeted it today that the Bucs did go extremely pass-heavy against that Eagles defense. And that's exactly the way they have to operate against the Lions because the Lions defense is good against the one. Their yeah. only uh, weakness is on man dual runs, and the Buccaneers are averaging a 31 success 31% success rate on man dual runs. So I don't think there is going to be many opportunities for the Bucks to gain uh, yards on the ground, so they have to come out uh, firing from all cylinders through the air. That's the way to attack this uh, Lions defense, and that's the only way, in my opinion, for the Bucks to stay competitive in this game. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like Anzalone and Jack Campbell, maybe they're good or, or good enough in the run defensive aspect, but like they can't cover for for shit. Like Amon Ross St. Brown could probably uh, work and operate over the middle and have a lot of success. If Tampa comes out with the right game plan, I think they're going to move the ball well. I just don't know if they can stop Detroit. Let's, I guess, let's go to the game of the uh, the weekend, and uh, like this is the one the NFL wants. Anytime that they they see Kansas City and Buffalo line up, they love it. Right now, Pinnacle is at two and a half minus one thirteen to Buffalo. Uh, let's start off with you, Suma. Buffalo um, uh, is you know, basically two and a half, 2.75. Some books opened up three. Is this the one game we truly need to know about injury status before deciding like Wednesday's practice is going to be key because, you know, the chiefs only have Kadarius Tony and like Derek Nandy um, uh, injured the, the bills Gabe Davis didn't dress and neither did Russell Douglas and neither did um, Terrell Dotson or Taylor Rapp. And then on top of it, they lost everyone in the secondary. Taron Johnson got hurt and Christian Benford and two other linebackers, Terrell Bernard and Balen Spector got hurt. Buffalo's got a lot of injuries. Is this a game where we have to find out the status of those guys? Yes, it's a, it's a big injury game for Buffalo. I think Rasul Douglas will play. Taron Johnson is not in the concussion protocol. Correct me if I'm wrong. I have not checked Twitter recently, so could be wrong. So I think there is a decent chance that Buffalo will get some of those players back. And what I would say about the Chiefs, we talked about it a lot on the on the Wednesday uh, or Thursday show last week. We thought that KC's issues on offense will probably get masked by a very bad and banked up Dolphins defense. And I think... Even if the Bills' defense is not at full strength, I don't think that the Chiefs' offense will have as easy of a game this week against that uh, Bills' defense. And I also think, for once, we have not seen it before because this is um, Patrick Mahomes' first ever playoff road game, but I think the home field advantage might matter <laughs> quite a bit to Buffalo here. Um, Cleve, I, I wonder what you think is the biggest 
uh, you know, advantage or mismatch in this game because obviously both quarterbacks are capable of going sicko mode, and but neither team stops the uh, the run very well, and maybe we see a little bit of a, a grinded out. Maybe we're more physical than you type game. Who do you where do you think's the one advantage, the biggest advantage, if you can pinpoint something? Well, I mean, I think this is this is a great matchup. There's really not much to say in terms of huge advantages one way or the other. Uh, I guess you know where I think I think the Chiefs secondary, I think their corners can get physical with the Buffalo receivers. And obviously, we've seen Stephon Diggs is not the same guy. He's not the separator down the field that he has been. He's I mean. He, all the routes he ran yesterday were like five yard curls. Like he wasn't running anything really uh, down the field. And so, you know, we saw what Snead and McDuffie did against Tyreek Hill and Waddle and not saying they're necessarily going to do that all game, but like, I think you get physical with these smaller, you know, bills receivers in general. And I think you can, you can slow down that, that passing game. And we've seen like Buffalo is 21st in explosive pass rate. Like they're not, they're not pushing it down the field. And their one guy they push it down the field with is Gabe Davis. And he's, you know, who knows if he's going to play. So it's going to be a lot of, you know, short intermediary stuff. And I think that with Spagnola and this defense, I think they have a good job or they have a good chance of, you know, kind of keeping everything in front and uh, making things difficult on Josh Allen. So I, I guess of all the things, of all the areas, I think that could be one of them uh, in terms of, you know, who has the advantage. I, Personally, like I'm not wasting any more brain cells trying to figure out who's going to cover, who's going to like. Just give me the the the. I know Clark said no. Uh, give me that eight and a half on the teaser leg with Kansas City all day. Like I'm just going to take my chances that you know that Mahomes doesn't get blown out here against a Buffalo team that really hasn't blown you know doesn't blow as many teams out as as we're used to. So um, you know, with the defense, with the Chiefs, I, and I think with all the injuries, you know, with the secondary, especially in the linebacking core of Buffalo. I, I'll just take the eight and a half on a teaser leg and, and try to find, maybe I, I make it seven points and bring down uh, uh, the Ravens. I'm not sure, but I, I think the teaser leg um, is really the route to go, at least for me. Like I'm just not, there's really no, there's not enough advantages here for me to, 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 to love one side or the other. So uh, that's the way I'm looking at this. Yeah. I have an open teaser cleave from last week, uh, Houston, Houston end. And unlike, you know, you know, Fezzik likes to throw people under the bus. And this guy was talking about tease Dallas to everything last week. And I'm like, oh, there's a little bit too much variance in this right. game uh, in both quarterbacks. I'm not interested. I said, I need to wait. And I'm fortunate enough to have a book where you can leave an open leg. This is probably the leg that I want to close it with. Clark, you jumped all over three uh, uh, when it opened. That line may never come back. Uh, do you think teasing to eight and a half is a strong play here? Yes, I do. The, the The leg that I don't like is the potential Baltimore leg. I do love the Chiefs up to up to eight and a half. And there was a fun wrestling match at Open because it was like you know we'd bet plus three, you know minus one fifteen, and then it would kind of go two two and a half minus one fifteen. Someone would bet Buffalo. It was it was a fun little fight. But um, I'm happy to have any any Kansas City plus threes because this is the type of matchup that is really, really tight and Buffalo's home field advantage is real, but also the chiefs have a pretty good rest advantage in this one. Again, like they did against Miami, which offsets a little bit of that home field advantage. And then Patrick Mahomes' experience in the playoffs, Andy Reid's experience in the playoffs um, makes me not afraid to play the the road team, even in a, what's going to be a hostile environment. Well, here's so George, sorry, yeah. not to interrupt, not to piggyback on what you said. If you have a book that has allows open teases and, you can't find a second leg, second leg. Like, think about what the AFC title game is going to likely be, yeah. right? Baltimore, KC, Baltimore, Buffalo. It's, it's not going to be. Yeah, you're going to get something in that range likely anyway. 
So you might get a, a second bite at it. So, um, you know, if you're willing to do that, I think that's a, that's another angle. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. I guess the, the my friend the, minus seven, you, you kind of, you kind of <laughs> led me to this question, yeah. Cleve, if you're Baltimore, right. And the, if they win, they're the, they're the first ones through and you're watching Sunday's game. Which team do you not want to see uh, in the AFC Championship game? Suma, if you're Baltimore, which team are you more scared of? Uh, Buffalo or Kansas City? Oh, great question. Uh, I would probably go with Buffalo. Wow. I think that... Buffalo you don't want to face or do face? Or you do want to face? Don't want to face. So, so oh, okay. if I'm the Ravens, I would sorry sorry if i'm the ravens i would not want to face buffalo right That's... so you think casey's the preferable option if you're baltimore clark uh if you're baltimore and you win who 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 do you want your opponent to be the following week i want to play buffalo i i don't want to play patrick mahomes and the chiefs in the playoffs with the best defense he's ever had again um yeah give me give me the give me the bills i love this all right cleve you get to break the tie if you're baltimore which which team do you not want to see? Yeah, as much as I love Buffalo and uh, Josh Allen, it's got to be – I don't want to face Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't care, you know, wh who he's got thrown to. That, with, with that defense and, and him, like, that is scared – you know, that scares me to death. Um, so I would I would definitely not – I mean, I, I, not saying Buffalo is – or not saying Kansas City is necessarily the better team. I just think in a one-game sample, I, I'll take my chances that – if I'm Mike McDonald, I can confuse Josh Allen more than I can confuse Patrick Mahomes. It's probably the best way to put it. I'm intrigued, man. I think the AFC is just a dream of matchups, four quarterbacks that are capable, and then a potentially banger AFC championship game. The NFC has got a little bit more like, you know, if you're Detroit and and you get to beat the Rams in Tampa to go to the NFC, that, that's kind of that's a pretty good break for you. Um uh, as far as brackets go and, and like San Fran, potentially home game against green Bay home game against Detroit or Tampa Bay. Like we joked about the power three in the NFC and two of them didn't make it out of the first round. So it, it, it's, interesting. what about this? Look at the quarterbacks for each conference. We're talking about, you know, yeah. calorie caps. the four Look best, the, quarterbacks are, the four best yeah. quarterbacks are in the AFC right now. <laughs> Probably, and three of them are like making tons of money. The NFC, it's all like uh, rookie deals or minimal, you know, like yeah. they're not making a lot of money. So it's like the complete diametric, you know, the diametrically opposed. It's pretty interesting. It's going to be I, hilarious I, when the Chiefs are hosting another AFC championship game next week against the Texans. <laughs> You're calling a shot, huh? You know, um, I was talking to Rob last night and I said, you know, I'm really excited that Chicago and Washington have the first two picks because, God, we need to disperse some talent to the NFC because I believe all our teams are in the AFC. I think we're sick of the gauntlet that you have to run if you want to try to win a championship. Meanwhile, you got Brock Purdy, Baker Mayfield, and Jared Goff and Jordan Love are in your NFC championship game. I am sick of it. And I really hope Caleb Williams and Drake May are playing quarterback in the NFC. Guys, thank you so much for your time and um you've been a pleasure as a reminder forward progress we'll be back again thursday at two o'clock with our prediction show with rob pozzola eric eager suma and hitman giving you their best bets um i know we all did pretty good last week and let's let's uh, follow it up with a strong week drop us a like before you bounce that's it for me thanks to cleave ta thanks to suma thanks to sharp clark and thanks to producer jason and of course to you the audience the best audience we could ask for until next time